And welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. As a reminder, Ben Epstein is gone uh, on his honeymoon. He's slacking. I know it's the season is starting and he's off after getting married and enjoying himself. You know, how dare he? But he's left me and I'm going to make do without him. Uh, today we have the Los Angeles Clippers, one of the most interesting teams, I think, entering this year. Is this it for the core of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan, two free agents after the year? Will they finally break through and reach the conference finals we have lucas han the editor of clips nation our really good los angeles clippers blog to talk about stuff like you know what was the most painful moment of the last three years you know why didn't they break the team up you know what do we expect from blake griffin what are some of the little problems that may derail the clippers this year a lot of interesting talk going on with this team you know a lot can happen and this is if the warriors didn't make the kind of the big move of the summer i think this would be the team the team to watch in the league this year just from a narrative top level perspective anyway as a reminder you should subscribe to the show on itunes uh, and leave us a review let us know what we are doing well what we could be doing better uh, some ideas for how to approach this season. We do accept the feedback. We really appreciate it. Keep it constructive, obviously. Uh, I don't want any more hate mail. And you can always ask us a question as well. Uh, we use questions to kind of fuel the, the show. You can tweet us at, at limited underscore upside. And you can also email me at Mike Prada at SPNation.com. So do those two things and then sit back and enjoy the Los Angeles Clippers preview with Lucas Han of Clips Nation. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Shut up and sit down. Right, the Los Angeles Clippers with Lucas Hand from Clips Nation. And Lucas, I figure let's get the grief out of the way. Let's let's start with some sad stuff and let's start with the end of the year because it is important. Obviously the Clippers have the injuries to Chris Paul and Blake Griffin that torpedo the year again. After everything they went through last year with the Blake Griffin fight and his hand injury and all the recovery, how devastating was that the injury news after game four? What were you doing? You know, the Clippers, we're kind of used to this with them because they've been doing it pretty much every year. Some sort of unforeseen collapse. They blew a 3-1 lead to the Rockets the year year before. They lost a series, you know, a really rough series to the Thunder the year before that. So it's kind of just like a big punch in the gut, right? To you know, It wasn't the loss in Game 4. That, that wasn't too bad because you're still – you know, Clippers are 2-2 in the series, coming back to L.A. Okay. But it was then when the news came out the next morning that Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were both going to be shut down with the injuries that they suffered in the second half of Game 4. And that was the real gut punch. Because especially the way the rest of the Western Conference was shaping up with the Warriors you know, having Steph be hurt for a little bit and it presented the Clippers with an opportunity to play the Warriors without Steph for a few games in the second round. And within 48 hours of learning that, hey, we might get to play two or three games without Steph in the second round, snap, you're not going the second round. Both of your 
you know, your two main stars are both being shut down for the season. So just like that, I wasn't happy that Steph Curry was hurt, obviously, because I, I don't want players to be injured. But I don't I think it would be dishonest to say that I wasn't excited about the opportunity once that reality was laid out in front of us, you know? Well, what do you what do you think are their chances of winning that series in the next round if in this alternate universe where Chris Paul doesn't break his hand? And you could tell right away that something was really bad because he, he knew right away. And Blake Griffin is relatively healthy. Like in this alternate universe, like do you think they really could have a shot to beat the Warriors if Steph misses he missed the first three games of the Blazers series? Let's say he misses that again. You also have to consider that if the Clippers don't lose both of their stars in the second half of that game, they probably win that that close game four in Portland. And they probably win game five at home where they had dominated Portland in Los Angeles. So the next series actually starts even earlier. So you might get four games without Steph Curry. That's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And, I, you know, the reason I ask all this is not just to make you relive the pain. Although, let's get one more grief question out of the way. Was this more painful, less painful, or about the same as the 3-1 collapse and sort of the Chris Paul meltdown in Oklahoma City? The meltdown, as you call it, in Oklahoma City, I'd, I'd say is the least painful because I think the Clippers were expected to really win that series going in. I think Oklahoma City was, was favored a little more. And there were at least a couple instances where close games were decided by questionable refereeing. And so it kind of felt, honestly, the, the mood in the fan base wasn't that, you know, ah, oh, we choked. It was, we got screwed. Because people want, want to poke at the play where Chris, you know, the Thunder went to intentionally foul Chris and he threw up an 80-foot shot to try to get three free throws. And the referees didn't call a foul and it was just a turnover. Obviously, it would have been better if he just held the ball and got his two free throws. But he still did get fouled and they didn't call a foul. It's, it's so obscure. But, you know, when, when they review out-of-bounds calls, they can review who the ball went off of. But they can't review if it was a foul before the ball went out off the offensive player. Yeah, it's a little bit of a bug in the system. So in the first round, the Clippers had a play where... Matt Barnes had fouled Mike Conley and then the ball went off out of went out off of Mike Conley and the referees gave Memphis the ball back and the referees said in the post game chat with the press they gave Memphis the ball back because it should have been a foul on Matt Barnes the reverse situation happened in the Clippers OKC series where Russell Westbrook fouled Matt Barnes and then the ball went off went out off of Matt Barnes and they gave OKC the ball. So it's like they, they interpreted that weird quirk in the rule against the Clippers both sides. or both, you know, it, The Clippers were on both sides of it, and they got the short end of the stick both times. Okay, so that was least painful. What about uh, 3-1 versus the injuries? 3-1 was the worst. Yeah. Because it wasn't just 3-1. It was the way the Clippers dominated on their way to 3-1. They won. They won games without Chris Paul. They won games, you know, blowouts. Austin Rivers just going off. I remember that. And then, Blake, you know, the Clippers game six at Staples Center. I came to L.A. <laughs> they're up. I I don't I don't even want to remember ex- exactly. They're up something like twenty five in the end of the third quarter. Oh yeah. 
everyone's going crazy because they're about to go to the conference finals. It's the famous comeback. I, I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a loud person when I go to games. I like to I'm kind of like more, a little more quiet and reserved and paying attention to what's happening. And I'm sitting there in just kind of this like moment of quiet disbelief and joy that the Clippers are finally breaking through and making it to the Western Conference Finals. And then I just sat there and watched shot by shot Josh Smith and Corey Brewer three by three as it just all fell apart. I think that's still the most stunned I've ever been after a game. Just when you think about the time, I've seen, we've seen a lot of games. And like, obviously, the final game seven, I was pretty stunned when the Cavs won this year. But I think that game was the one that I was just the most. I, I just bewildered as I sat there at the end watching. I have no idea how that happened. So I'm totally with you. That that I am not surprised is the game that is most painful. I mean, injuries are injuries, but I still am not sure how the Clippers didn't win that series. Uh, the reason I ask all this is not just to make you relive the anguish of defeat. It's because given all this and given the injuries, there was definitely some momentum to say, you know what, this core had run its course. Doc Rivers said... I think the previous year he said that suggested that if they did not break through last year, that they would have to think about breaking the team up. But that was never really a, a thought this summer. Were you surprised by that? Were you surprised that they didn't think to maybe trade Blake Griffin or sort of break the team up in a certain way after the way last year ended? No, I'm I'm not, and I think it. You know, I've I've said all along that it makes sense to keep this team together. And that's one reason why the Portland loss wasn't as painful because there's that thought in the back of your mind, you know, okay, the Clippers win this series against Portland. They go on, they lose to Golden State because Golden State's the best, you know, the best team of all time. And it's another second round out. And then what do you do? But you get the injuries and it almost gives you a free pass. Like this one didn't count. It sucked that the season ended, but this one didn't really count. Both your stars went out in the playoffs. What do you, you know? Right. That doesn't prove that there's a flaw with the core like blowing a 3-1 lead does or losing in the second round for the 18th straight year does. So I think it made sense to keep the core together in this case because just looking at it from from a almost a common sense standpoint, what were they going to do to make the team better? And well, nothing they would have broken w- it up, I guess. So that would be the the alternative. It would not be better. It would be a rebuilding project. And Doc Rivers, he left Boston because he didn't want to do a rebuilding project. Doc Rivers being in charge of basketball operations, he's not going to spark a rebuilding project in, in L.A. right now. So the only thing that he could have done is trade Blake Griffin for pieces to try to build a team that maybe works better together. But there's no package out there that is a good return value wise and fits with Chris Paul's window. So you can trade Blake for a couple young players and some picks and this one veteran, you know, downgrade at the position or whatever, but none of these packages make sense with Chris Paul's window. So that's why, you know, I've people from Boston all summer, you know, what about this package for Blake? What about that package for Blake? Well, no matter what is fair value-wise, however we're going to value Blake Griffin and value the picks and prospects that Boston has, nothing makes practical sense for the Clippers unless they find a package for Paul and a separate package for Griffin. 
which would be a full rebuild. And we all know that Doc's not – he's just not going to spark a rebuild while he has complete autonomy over the team. So I, w- I would have been far more surprised if they had actually broken it up. I mean, the other factor, too, and it's a really simple thing, is Blake Griffin's trade value is not very good, probably, relative to what it could be after the season he had, after punching the assistant equipment manager and missing all that time and not not being healthy. And you know, they prob- if, if Blake had played a great season and they still you know didn't get to where they were, then yeah, okay, then maybe you can get a lot more for him. But you know, if you're Boston... You know, I'm sure you'd love to have Blake Griffin, but you would pause a little bit about giving up the the full boat, uh, given his injury issues. So, given that, you weren't even going to get what you needed for Blake Griffin at this stage anyway, uh, just given how the season ended. Yeah, and I think well, that that's part of the problem is you see people talking about like, you know, Gallinari and Fareed for Blake Griffin. That just doesn't. It just is not a good basketball move for the Clipper. It just doesn't. It doesn't help. It doesn't make you the team that you need to be. It just makes you, you know, change for the sake of change doesn't, it's not good. And I, you're definitely spot on about Blake's value being low because even when he came back, he wasn't fully healthy. In the playoffs, he wasn't Blake Griffin. He was like Blake Griffin playing through a serious hamstring injury, still being a good NBA player, but not Blake Griffin. He wasn't, you know, compare Blake Griffin in the playoffs two years ago. Oh God! When he was when he was one of the literally, you know, one of the best players in the postseason. He was incredible. The last season when he was playing, Gimpy, he's still the best option the Clippers have at power forward, but he's not the guy like you're talking about. He's not the the superstar guy that teams are going to go trade an arm and a leg for. He's just an he looked like a nice piece. So he's got a lot to prove this year to really get back to that tier one status as a superstar yeah so let's talk about Blake Griffin so one thing that did happen last year and this has happened before with the Clippers you know they lose one star and they hang in there and they've played decently well obviously they're not as quite as good offensively but they play four out they build around the DeAndre uh, CP3 pick and roll and they play pretty well I mean they won 53 games Uh, they hung in there Uh, that was an interesting thing that happened I'm not sure that if Blake Griffin was a you know, at the top of his powers. I don't think a lot of people would have expected that. But now Griffin is back. Uh, they have generally the same core together. What are we expecting from him, given also that Griffin has been through a lot of injuries? I mean, what are you expecting from Blake this year? He's definitely going to start shooting three-pointers. Okay. That was one question we got, by the way, uh, from people, was is this Blake Griffin three-point thing for real? And you think it might be? Yeah, I do. I do think it's for real because, you know, if you look back at his last full season, so... Not 15-16, but if you look at 14-15, he was shooting – he shot 500 long twos in the 14-15 regular season. That's a lot of long twos. And he shot shot 41% on them, which is not elite, but it's, you know, average, above average. And the way the, the league is going, it just makes sense to shoot threes instead of long twos. And he's turned to these long twos more and more over the course of his career because of his injuries as he tries to take it easy during the regular season and then go crazy in the playoffs like we saw against the Spurs two years ago. So I think he's going to take actually an even greater percentage of his shots as jump shots this year. And the more jump shots you shoot, the more you lose by shooting long twos instead of threes. 
So he takes those extra couple steps back, and if he can still hit a decent percentage, he just gets more points per possession. It's a more efficient play. And in the preseason, and when we've seen him do it in spots in other years, he's looked perfectly comfortable with it. In that same year, 2015, he shot 32 threes during the season, so almost won every other game at 34%. If he can up that to one or two a game after two more years of work, and still shoot 34%, that's a big, that's a way, way bigger weapon than 40% on long twos. Interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like I've heard this from him before. You know, I, It seems like he's pushing to that level. At some point, he's going to be shooting threes, just when you think about the nature of his game. I'm looking to see how many threes he's actually shot. We, re- we are recording this uh on uh, right before the fourth preseason game, so he, they played three preseason games so far, and he has shot so far. I'm looking this up again. Uh, great hosting by me, not having this ready. He shot four threes in three games. So I don't know. To me, maybe we got to slow down on this a little bit. Like I, I think it would be great for him, but I'll believe it when I see it for a longer stretch of time. But I think the general point is that he's going to shoot more jumpers. And he's going to need to rely on his jump shot more because he's still, at least to me, he doesn't look like he's all the way back yet. I mean, do you feel that based on the three preseason games so far? He looks fine to me. He really does. Um, I think, you know, on, you have to take everything in preseason with a grain of salt. So he's not he's not Blake Griffining dudes. He's not making models. But he's now, you know, a little more seasoned of a veteran. It's preseason. He's just getting his legs under him. You know, you say he's only taken four threes, but his minutes have been pretty low too. And the one game that he really played aggressively, which was um, the second game, he went two of three from beyond the arc. Then the other, he hasn't really done much. But I think a big reason why this is going to be a focus is because the Clippers did, like you mentioned, they did so well without him last year. I think he benefits a lot from for stretches of the game letting DeAndre Jordan's rim dives be the focus of the offense and let him space the floor and let him be a secondary guy just to save his legs during the regular season. The other interesting basketball thing that that's happened and and Doc has talked about this is that finally it appears that they may be staggering CP3 and Blake Griffin and you know for the longest time they would always play all the starters together and then an all bench unit and they wouldn't split up CP and, and Blake, even though Blake is such a good passer and playmaker. And there were times, you know, when they've been injured, where the other one has been just fine without them. And like whether it was two years ago when when CP was injured and Blake was taken over with Darren Collison, or was that three years ago? Uh, that stretch. And then last year, of course, Blake's injured, and they refocused the team around CP and shooting and DeAndre's roll rim, rim rolling. Now it seems like they may finally be staggering and playing Blake more at the second unit. Like, do you think that's something that's going to hold up? I, I hope so. This, you know, staggering is something that I've kind of been advocating for 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 years between these two guys, and for whatever his his reasons are, Doc Rivers hasn't done it. But I think there are two factors that are really make it, you know, two reasons to be optimistic this year. The first is that. The Clippers' success without Blake Griffin last year was far more substantial and sustainable than, you know, Blake going off for 15 games without Chris Paul because Chris Paul sprained his ankle. We're talking about, 
you know, 40, 50 games of no Blake Griffin in the lineup and the offense still did okay. That offense is partially, largely dependent on DeAndre Jordan's rim dives, which Blake's presence at least partially inhibits from a spacing perspective. The other reason why I'm optimistic that staggering will be more real this year is because I don't think the Clippers have a viable all-bench lineup. Now, in past years, the all-bench lineups that they've used haven't been all that good, as has been well-documented. But I think you could talk yourself into, like, Rivers, Crawford, you know, Wesley Johnson, Jeff Green, and Cole Aldridge. I think you could talk yourself into that being, like, a capable NBA unit, even if they weren't good. I think it's really hard to talk yourself into Felton, Rivers, Crawford, Wesley Johnson, and most spates or Brandon Bass or, or I guess Alan Anderson, if you consider him a bench player. And so I think this year doc is more viewing it as instead of building the a team and the B team, I think he got whatever weapons he could get and he's going to mix and match more. So I think we'll see sometimes Chris Paul running the second unit because He's shown this a little bit in the preseason. He's put Raymond Felton with the starters for stretches because Felton can perform the basic functions of a starting NBA point guard. He's not Chris Paul, but he can do what Chris Paul does on the possessions where Blake Griffin is running the offense. And then Chris Paul can really take over that second unit. On the flip side, you move Blake Griffin to the second unit – now you can really space the floor around Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan pick and rolls. So you think that when Blake's on the bench, we're going to see something like Wes Johnson at the four, or maybe even Paul Pierce if he can play a little bit. You don't think they're going to kind of put Spates or Brandon Basson for him? That's that's where I think we're heading. I think we're heading towards Spates, Griffin, second unit minutes, and small lineups around DeAndre Jordan whenever Griffin is off the floor. I wouldn't be surprised if the rotation turns ends up having Spates or Bass. I, I'm not sure it'll have both. Okay, that makes sense. So given the constraints they had this summer, they re-signed Austin Rivers uh, to a pretty big deal. They get Jamal Crawford back, also a pretty big deal. And they get a lot of minimum guys. They lose Aldrich, really key player for them last year, quietly. They lose Pablo Prigioni, another key player for them last year. How do you think they did? They get also Allen Anderson. You know, given their constraints, were, you, were those moves? They also lose Jeff Green. Given their constraints, like, do you think that they did about as well as they could? Do you think they could have done better? Uh, or do you think they should have tried to keep Jeff Green a little harder? Uh, what's your take on the summer generally? I think they did about the best they could. They, I don't think they necessarily hit any home runs, but you look at at their cap situation, the they basically had four guys they could sign for above the minimum. Jamal, Austin, and Jeff Green through bird rights, and then one guy for the mid-level exception. So what they did is they, they reached out to these three guys, Jamal, Austin, Jeff Green. They told them, we're going after Kevin Durant. Hang tight for a few days. If we don't get Kevin Durant... We're, you know, we have all of these offers on the table already. So as, as soon as Kevin Durant tells us we're out, we're, you know, we're, we're going to make this agreement, that agreement with, with you guys. Jeff Green didn't wait. He left. He bolted on the first day. 
with an agreement with Orlando. So if they really were going to – the only thing they could have done to keep Jeff Green would have been to not even try to get Kevin Durant. And I'm not sure that, that Jeff Green is really worth that. And with Jamal and Austin – yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> no, so, he's not. <laughs> so with, with Jamal and Austin, those contracts are big and they're probably slight overpays. But the Clippers had no choice. You, when you have two guys that you have bird rights on, you don't get to, to bargain. You don't get to hunt for the bargain players. You have to pay those two guys whatever the market demands. And Austin and Jamal both got higher money offers from other teams. Austin got a bigger offer from the Knicks, and Jamal got a bigger offer from the Sixers. So are these contracts team friendly? Not especially, but they're what had to be done to keep above minimum level talent on the team. Cole Aldrich, you mentioned being a big loss, and he was, and I really loved what Cole Aldrich, Cole Aldrich brought to the team last year, but there was just simply no way for them to pay him. He went for far above the mid-level exception, a little bit and they above. didn't have his bird right. A little bit above. I think he went for about $7 million a year. He, I think he went for, for 22 over 3 yeah, a little more than $7 million a year. Definitely above. I, I agree with you. There was no way they were keeping him. Um, the mid-level exception is a little under 18 over 3. So that's a, it's a pretty substantial. Cole Aldrich hasn't made a lot of money in his career. No, I mean, I, I would. they couldn't have kept him. There's no question. Uh, but yeah, uh, absolutely. And they're going to miss him. They're going to miss. I worry a little bit that their their second unit just doesn't have enough good passers. Uh, you know, But that was the same problem they had last year and the year before. And it's sort of always yeah. the problem they have. And that's, that's you know back to staggering. You put Chris Paul or Blake Griffin in that unit, all of a sudden you've got one of the best passers in the league on that unit because they're Chris Paul. Obviously, is Chris Paul and Blake Griffin is the, you know, if he was running an offense as the main guy, if he wasn't playing with Chris Paul, he'd probably be averaging six, seven assists a game. Well, it's the same problem they have. I don't know how they're going to split minutes between Felton, Crawford, and Rivers. I don't. There, I don't know how they're going to do that, uh, but. You know, it's, again, it's sort of the same problem they always have. So I'm not quite sure exactly how it's any different this year. But I think you, I probably agree. They did about the best they could. Uh, they also kept Luke Sharmab Mute. They keep Wesley Johnson. You know, they, they kind of box themselves in. You know, it, it does feel like this, the other big hole in the team, other than the big four, obviously, is the small forward position. Uh, who do you see starting there at this point? Well, it's going to be Luke Sharmab Mute to begin with, at least, because. He was the only capable guy at that position last year. So he ended up in the spot and he did his job. He's not great and he's not really even what they need because they need someone who can shoot the ball a little bit. But he did his job. Wesley Johnson, first of all, only shoots, only shot 33% from deep last year, which isn't that great. But he literally could not stay in front of opposing wings. And because of the way the Clippers' backcourt is structured with a little point guard and Chris Paul and J.J. Redick, who is a good team defender but is limited defensively, the Clip, whoever the Clippers' small forward is has to guard you know, all-star wings, night in, night out, guarding all-star wings. And Wesley Johnson just proved that he was not that guy. I think in his first start, he let Gordon Hayward go for, I think, 40 points. In his, in his first chance getting to start in starting lineup against Utah last year, Gordon Hayward put up 40 on him. So that's when Doc decided to go with, with Mbamute. I think this year, 
Wesley will get another chance. He had some plantar fasciitis last year. Maybe he's healthier this year and he can do a little more. I'm not sure. Um, I think Alan Anderson – I like Alan Anderson as a dark horse there because he's a capable defender and he does bring – you know he brings that extra that extra X factor on the offensive end in, at that position that Mbamute really brings none of. But one thing to watch for is the Clippers are going to use a lot of three-guard lineups. When Basically, Doc said when he can get away with it, he's going to play three-guard lineups. So we saw in the preseason game against the Raptors – the Clippers started Austin Rivers because they said, we're not super worried about Damari Carroll dominating a smaller defender. And what they're trying to do is by putting Austin Rivers in that lineup, let Austin Rivers defend the other team's point guard so that save Chris Paul's legs. So even if they do that just in for eight or 12 minutes a game for 20 games this year, that's just slowly one of the ways that they're trying to keep Chris Paul a little better rested you know, keep his legs a little fresher heading down the line in the season. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you will see that a lot. Uh, I agree with you, too, that Al Anderson could be an X factor. I thought he would help the Wizards a lot last year, and then you just kind of hurt his ankle again and never yeah. get going. Uh, I think also, really, the most realistic option is they'll probably trade another future first round pick for another Jeff Green type, and that'll be the guy. That just seems like the most realistic thing that they could do, uh, but we'll see. Um, we haven't talked yet about. <clears throat> about three really important players in the team that aren't Blake Griffin, and that is Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, JJ Redick. Those those four players for the last year, few years, you put those four out, it doesn't really matter who the fifth guy is. That's going to be a great lineup, and that's always been the case. Do you worry though that Paul at thirty two, Redick at uh, I believe he's also thirty two, coming off a career season thirty one. Thirty one. Okay, so Paul is turning thirty two this year. Uh, for, yeah, to be to be accurate. Uh, in the by the playoffs, Redick at that age, coming off really an incredible year for him, incredible shooting year. Uh, he was such a great player, such an underrated player that I don't think people appreciate. And DeAndre, who also is coming off a great year, and he's twenty, turning twenty eight this year. One thing I worry a little bit about is like, can those three guys repeat the performances they had last year uh, at their ages? I mean, are you worried a little bit that five percent drop from each of them may may prove to be an, a significant factor? Well. I th- I, it's it's so hard to quantify what you know what a, a five percent regression is for each of those guys. I, I don't think DeAndre will suffer a regression. Um, I think if anything, he might get a little better with you know one more year of confidence, the All NBA First Team award that he won, the gold medal he won. I think Chris and JJ are where you look a little more at some potential regression. I don't think Chris Paul is going to be worse. I think he might do less. Okay. So his his stats might not be as good because he might take it a little bit easier. His minutes might be a little lower. He might defer to Blake Griffin a little bit more. But I don't think Chris Paul is – You know, I think if the circumstances of last year repeated themselves, Chris Paul would be able to step up to that level again. It's just – it takes a lot out of him – to perform it at that kind of otherworldly level where he was last year. Redick is the more interesting case where it'll be his fourth year with the Clippers. The first year he was really injured. He was really limited by injuries. The second year he, you know, at 29, he had a career year. Now last year at 30, he had another career year. So people keep on asking me, is, is JJ Redick going to have his third straight career year? Probably not. 
You know, he he shot 47.5% from deep last year. I don't know how much headroom there is on that just from from a guy, you know, from for an NBA shooter, I don't know how much headroom there is above 47.5%, especially because he's not a spot-up guy as much as an off-screens guy. Yeah, I mean, that's the point that needs to be emphasized. I mean, he's not just shooting 47.5% on wide-open threes. I mean, he's running off the ball. I guess the, the, the obvious comparison is that uh, two years ago, Kyle Korver shot 49% from three uh, for the Hawks. But, yeah, I, I don't see how – I mean, it would be an amazing accomplishment if he shot that well again. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he'll get better, but I also don't think with – you know, the kind of player he is, I don't think getting a year older is going to make him make him worse. I don't think it's going to affect his game. He just might not be able to replicate that amazing shooting performance. So he might it might drop a little bit, but I don't think it's it's going to be a huge worry. I think with especially with JJ and DeAndre, who are the two more complimentary guys of that group, the bigger issue than how well they do what they do well will be can the Clippers get over what they don't do well? So I'm not worried about what percentage JJ shoots from three, but I'm worried about if the Clippers can find a solution where they can win games with an undersized shooting guard who doesn't defend dominant wings. And I'm not worried about, you know, DeAndre Jordan taking a step back, rebounding, shot blocking, you know, diving to the rim off pick and rolls. I'm worried about the Clippers finding strategies to work having two max contract big men in an era that's being driven towards small ball. I mean, they've had the same wing problem for four years and they've always sort of figured out a solution and when it counts, haven't. So I don't know. I I don't see that really changing very much. Uh, The big guy issue, I mean, maybe staggering will solve some of that where you split them up a little bit more, allow them both to thrive. Uh, But you know, again, missing Aldridge and having not having that rim protection off the bench will be a factor, and you know that that's I guess the best answer to those questions. But it, it seems like a little bit of the same old, same old in that respect, and that's good. Like those are that's a great lineup, and like you said, I, I it's not like those guys are going to fall off a cliff. It's just that if there's a little drop based on their age, that may be significant, and so you know that that's one of the things that that I'm looking to see how it happens. Uh, Question here I want to get to. Uh, we got a few questions, but this is probably the one that is the most sort of specific. Uh, as a reminder, you can always send the show questions at limited underscore upside on Twitter. You can tweet at me at Mike Prada SBN. You can also email me, Mike Prada at SBNation.com, which is what Corbin Ford did. He wants to know, Lucas, do you think the Clippers have enough shooting from the perimeter? He sees. Only Redick and Paul as really good shooters, and guys like Crawford, Felton, Rivers are really streaky. Do you worry about the perimeter shooting at all? Yeah, I, I do, and I, that's something that I talked about extensively last year too, is that after those two guys, there was a stretch of the season where all of the Clippers support shooters, so meaning Rivers, Wesley Johnson, at the time Pablo Prigioni, Jamal Crawford, etc., Paul Pierce, were all underneath 33% which is just really not great when you look at, you know, the Warriors have like eight guys shooting above 40% from deep. This year, I actually think Mo Spates might be the third best shooter on the Clippers, <laughs> which is, it's an interesting place to get that from your backup center, but I don't think it's a an unreasonable assertion. I think Jamal Crawford is better than his percentage in that 
he takes a lot of off the dribble shots when he's you know playing his iso ball with the second unit but in more serious controlled situations where he's playing with the starters he's really up around 39% reliable on catch and shoot threes and the other guys are all kind of average mediocre so no that I, I guess they don't they don't really compare with the warriors in that respect but i'm not sure that there are many teams who have more than three or four really good shooters and then you know a cast of of average ones so it's it's not a, the hugest concern i mean i i would love for them to have more 40 percent three-point shooters but you look anywhere except for the warriors not a lot of teams have more than three or four good shooters and then a handful of okay ones yeah i think they're fine and especially when Blake Griffin unveils this new three-point shot that is going to tank the league by storm, this will not be a problem anymore. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, we've gotten this far, and uh, we have not addressed the big elephant in the room, which is Chris Paul and Blake Griffin being free agents. And the Clippers didn't break up the team last year, uh, but this summer is a big day, you know, time of reckoning. You know what? A lot can change between now and then, but like, what do you see as a long-term? Is this the last year we'll see this core of Clipper, this Clippers core, or do you think they'll keep it together? Well, anything can happen between you know it's it's a long season, and then you've even got depending on when you finish, potentially a long gap to think about things between the season and when free agency starts. But based on what I know, not what I think, but based on what I know. I think either one of those guys leaving is far less likely than a scenario in which both guys take pay cuts so that the Clippers can afford to bring in another star. Really? Especially Okay. That that's what the, their pitch was to Kevin Durant this summer was Kevin Durant would sign a 1-year contract with the Clippers at a pay cut, play this coming season with the Clippers, and then next summer Chris and Blake would both take pay cuts when they were free agents, so Clippers would have the cap room to max out Kevin Durant. I mean, technically, it still could happen. Yeah, and, and it, it still could happen with <laughs> Kevin Durant because he signed a one-year deal. <laughs> yeah. Or they could they could try to, you know, I just off the top of my Gordon Hayward is a free agent. You know, there there are worthy free agents out there if they're really still willing to put the you know their money where their mouth is. And like I said. A lot can happen between now and July where maybe they, they change their minds you know, about if a guy can move the needle for the team or if they want to give up the money or if they even want to be Clippers anymore. But that scenario is far more likely than a scenario where either one of them leaves. And I note especially Blake Griffin because Blake Griffin has a lot of non-basketball projects in Los Angeles. He's trying to do comedy. He's trying to do movies. He's got a lot of production production work going on in L.A. So I have a really hard time seeing him go. You know, I, I can see a universe where Chris Paul finds a way to get to Cleveland to play with LeBron and try to win a championship. I don't see Blake Griffin at, at this point in his career going, you know, oh, well, this core in City X is better for me. It seems unrealistic, but a lot can change. Um, a lot can change. Does, does it? It doesn't feel like a last dance season then to Clippers fans. I mean, what, what's? I mean, 
What's the? I mean, it has been a lot of time that they haven't broken through, and they've had the same group together. Do do the Clippers? Do Clippers fans feel a sense of staleness? Or, you know, the other factor to consider is that this is the best Clippers mix of all time by far. Yeah. And you know, I think that's an underrated factor in why this team hasn't been broken up. Is that 15, 20 years down the line, they would love to retire these guys' number, and they want. There's no like kind of clip. Who's the next Clipper that whose number you would retire at this point? Elton Brand. You know, the no. fun, like, 2000s, like, kind of Quentin Richardson, Darius Miles, Mar Odom teams. I mean, they don't have a legacy. It, would, it wouldn't be Elton Brand, for sure. Oh, well, actually, after he left, yes, that's probably yeah, the true. Yeah, the way he left. They, well, the first, the first Clipper in the rafters will be Ralph Lawler. Right, right. First, how about first Clippers player, though? I mean, there, there's really nobody. It'll be someone from this team. Yeah, and I think that's a big factor, you know, that to keep that legacy to kind of build the next yeah, group of Clippers fans. It's not the same calculus as if you were the Lakers and trying to break up this team. You know, they yeah. don't have the history. I think that's a big factor. I I agree, and I think when you you know within the Clippers fan base, there's sort of two factions. There's the the faction that like you know, oh well, I saw them when they were the San Diego Clippers, and. You know, they've won 8% of their games since then. So, you know, don't mess with this. We've got a good thing. And then there's, I don't want to say bandwagoners, you know, because that's like almost like a, that's a put down, right? But there's fans who don't have as much of an appreciation for how truly putrid the Clippers history is. And those fans are like thinking from a more common NBA perspective, like, all right, obviously this group isn't going to win a championship. Let's mix it up. Let's keep moving. And I would I would count myself in the first group. Obviously, I wasn't watching Clippers in San Diego, but I watched enough being a Clippers fan my whole life. I've seen enough of the other stuff to not want to mess with this while we've got it. I mean, I think that's a big that's a huge factor and Doc obviously is not did not come to LA to preside over a rebuilding project and they did make some important front office additions this summer that I think may be an interesting key to their future. So I you know, a lot can change though, and you never know with free agents. We saw that with Kevin Durant, you know. I think it's more likely that for some reason one of those guys leaves or both than they try to break it up. I think they'd want to bring him back at all costs no matter what you know i know doc said what he said two years ago but i don't think that they're going to try to break the team up but um certainly from like the, the national perspective it does feel like they have to break through uh so let's talk about what you think is going to happen this year um we got a really long question from alfredo rodriguez a clipper a simpsons reference that i i must say i'm not going to read this whole thing on this on this podcast i'm sorry you can't send me a four paragraph question and expect me to read the whole thing um he asks if you think the Clippers kind of get the number two seed as sort of a parting, like by default, just because a lot of the Thunder are down, the Spurs may be down, and it's not really much of a victory even to get to the conference finals, get obliterated by the Warriors. I mean, do you see, like, what do you see actually happening? Do you see that that being sort of the parting gift, or do you think that it'll be a more powerful two seed? Do you, where do you see the team finishing this year? Well, I think. Being the two seed and making the Western Conference Finals would mean less this year than, you know, last year probably wouldn't have meant much either. But maybe the year before that, um, before the Warriors broke the all-time win record and then before that, you know, before the Super Team Warriors were even a thing, those would have meant more than than doing it this year because of the competition in the conference. But 
the Clippers are by no means winning the two seed this year by default. I think they'll do it, and I think they're better than the Spurs because of how the Spurs' defense they, – they basically – on their pick-and-roll defense, they swapped Tim Duncan and Boris Diaw for David Lee and Pau Gasol. That hurts. Absolutely. So I th- I think the Clippers are going to be better over the course of an 82-game season than the Spurs. And I think they'll get the two-seed. But I don't think it's like a foregone conclusion. I think it'll you know, probably be relatively close. And I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't get the two-seed. I just think they probably will. And then in the playoffs, I think they have a good opportunity to make the Western Conference Finals, assuming they get the two- or three-seed and stay away from the Warriors. But again... Beating the Spurs in the second round is far from a foregone conclusion. They're still the Spurs, even though the Clippers have done well against the Spurs. You know, this core has done well against them, but they're still the Spurs and they're still going to be a 55 plus win team. It's not going to be some sort of by default. And so I think that even if they do all that and they get to the Western Conference Finals and they get swept by 20 points each game, it'll still be the best season in Clippers history because they've never been able to say they were the second best team in the conference. They've, they, you know, against that year when they blew the three, one against Houston, they should have been the second best team in the conference, but they were never really able to put their foots down, put their feet down and make it. And if they can really, you know, gut up and make it to the Western conference finals this year, I think if anything, it would be encouraging for this core to try to do something like add talent and come back, tweak a strategy and come back. Some sort of mix that says, okay, it's the Warriors and then us. How do we close this gap? Rather than it's the Warriors and then the field, how do we poke our head above the water that is the rest of the conference? So, if they can poke their head above the water this season, I don't think there's a you, – you can make an argument that there's no better team to flee to. But if they can't poke their head above the water, if they remain like in the – just in the pack, you can't really – you can't make that case as, as strongly. So I think the Clippers will get that two seed and make the Western Conference Finals, but I don't think it's going to be a, a by default sort of deal. Well, you see how important this season is when you put it in those terms and how much is on the line. Uh, I agree that they, I think they will make the conference finals as well, but I do not think they will finish ahead of the Spurs in the regular season. The Spurs have an infrastructure, that, and I think the Clippers might take it easy a little bit in terms of rotations, experimenting with different strategies, giving Paul more rest, uh, all that's giving Griffin a diff- bit of a different role. So I think they will... They will beat the Spurs in the playoffs, but I think they will finish with the three seed and about as many wins as they had last year. But it's going to be real fascinating to watch. And I think it's important that we we got you on to have the local perspective because, again, this is a team that maybe if it was in a different market in a different place would feel like stale. But because the Clippers have had no success over the years, I think this feels really big still to Clippers fans, and you don't want to see this thing broken up. Uh, so I think it's interesting to have that perspective. Uh, is there anything other keys to the season that we haven't talked about that you think deserve a little bit more play? You know, it's really going to come down to that small forward spot and then figuring out a, a workable lineup on the bench. And one thing that people are always talking about is 
that Austin Rivers-Jamal Crawford tandem on the bench and if it's really tenable. If you can be good with those two guys as your guards off the bench. And um, Joe Von Buha, who covers the Clippers for ESPN.com, him and I spoke about this tandem. And, and he he's of the opinion that you can't be a championship caliber team with those two guys and the way that they play together as as your second unit. And I'm not sure that I'd go that far, but I think that there's definitely some cause for worry there. So I think they might try to make a move midseason. I think they might come in, see what they've got, play around with rotations, kind of like they did early last year. And then in January, once those guys are eligible to be traded, I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers make a move, especially if a guy like Rudy Gay, who wants out of Sacramento, if a guy like Rudy Gay is still sitting on the trade block, I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers made made a run there, which, you know, for better or worse, depending on, on how you view Rudy Gay, it changes the entire conversation. Well, that would be a very Clippers move, trading a first-round pick potentially for Rudy Gay. So <laughs> that's yeah. very, very plausible given uh, the way they have managed the team well. I think the key to the season will be Blake Griffin. I am really curious to see how he responds after last year. I feel like there's a lot that he could be doing. I also worry about his injury history. To me, he's the key to the season, and I'm very curious to watch. Uh, I know it's very top-heavy look at the team, but that that's the most that's the one that 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 gets me. You know, after the season he had last year, this is a big bounce back time. But anyway, Lucas Han, thank you so much for coming on. Tell the people where they can find you. Hi, uh, you can find me at clipsnation.com or at Lucas J Han on Twitter. Thanks, Mike. Well, thanks for coming on, and we are almost done. Uh, we are done with the Clippers. Next up, we've got the Oklahoma City Thunder. There is nothing to talk about with that team. I'm sure we're just going to waste an hour talking about no big stories. They weren't involved in anything. Uh, and then Toronto is after that. So we're nearly done with this journey on the look at all 30 teams. Uh, one thing I will tease to watch out for is next week, the SB Nation NBA preview launches. And that will be a lot of fun. You may even see something about this very team we're talking about. Ooh, see, crazy. Anyway, this has been the Limited Upside Podcast. Podcast.